Good morning. I've got a question for you this morning. If you're following along in your journals, you can write the question down. How would you rate your memory? Would you say you're like an elephant, like I never forget anything. It's like a steel trap in here. Or would you say like a goldfish and like 10 seconds later you've forgotten whatever you were just told or why you walked into the room? I'd say I'm kind of somewhere in between, but the older I get, I do find myself walking into rooms and saying, why am I in here? What did I come in here for? Well, I think there are certain memories, at least for me, that have been locked in like an elephant. Like, I will never forget them. They are a core memory. You probably have this too. Uh, last year, I had the dream of going to see my beloved Cincinnati Bengals live in a Super Bowl. And it would have been greater if they'd have ended the game two minutes earlier. I'd have had a lot better memories of it. I won't soon forget that day. But you know what else I seem to remember other than, uh, other than just kind of those big core memories are my failures. I, I seem to remember the wrongs people have done to me more than I remember the things that people have done right or, or done good for me. You know what else I seem to remember more than other things is the hard times in life. When God doesn't seem like he's shown up at all, like he's been silent. The times when something happened and I don't have an answer. When I see people struggle, when, when things happen in their lives and they come like as their spiritual leader like, and I don't have a good answer. I also don't remember my victories well. I remember the bad things. I don't remember the good seasons in life. When God did show up, when he answered prayers. Now I can recall them, but I, I often have to spend time reflecting and reminding myself of all the good things that God has done. Reminding myself that God has moved. Oftentimes I'll go back to journals, old journals. This is why I think journaling is so important. Many times I've gone back to these old journals and read and reminded myself when God has shown up in my lives, when God did do something in me or through me. We don't often, if we don't journal, we'll, we'll often not even realize God has done something until we go back and reflect and go, wow, that was a prayer I had and God did show up. Unless we find time to, to spend time with God, to write down the things we think God's revealing to us or, or speaking to us. Personally, I tend to reflect the most when seasons are the hardest, when things aren't going well. That's when I find myself sitting down and going back, God, remind me of those things that you've done. And I think this is more normal than we think it is. I think people do this more than we know. As a matter of fact, we see this kind of thing all over Scripture. It happens over and over in the Bible. I mean, so much so that if you've been reading and following along in the memory or in the reading plan, you find yourself maybe thinking this, boy, this, the Israelites are kind of slow learners, aren't they? I mean, like, they have not learned a single lesson. How can they be a part of something and see God move in such big, powerful ways and then seemingly overnight forget all that God has done? Then God gently nudges me and says, Andy, I could say the same thing about you. And this morning, we're going to look at the Israelites forgetting and complaining. And I think it would be really easy for us, and maybe you've done this and, and kind of judged them. I've been there because of how God has recently moved in such powerful ways in their life. But if we slow it down enough and we insert ourselves in the story, I think we'll actually see ourselves in this story. But before we get into the story, let's just invite God to, to meet us where we are and let's pray. God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Just reveal to us the times that maybe we've missed you. Maybe we're in a season right now that we need you. God, would you remind us of all that you've done and remind us that you're still the same God, you're still just as close, and you still want to move in us and through us. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're joining us for the first time online or in person, we're so glad you're here. We are in our series called A Fresh Start, and we're heading to Exodus if you're following along in your Bibles. But a fresh start can be exciting. It can, it can give us hope. It can give us the energy or maybe that just enough motivation to do the things we thought we couldn't do before. But there are oftentimes a fresh start means something's happened that we didn't intend or want in our lives, and now we need a fresh start. If you haven't grabbed one of these journals, I encourage you to go back and grab one now. They're in the back. You will not distract me. These things were designed with you in mind. They have a place for you to follow along on the message. There's a section just called Sunday Message. You can write notes as God reveals something for you this morning. It has our reading plan for the whole year in there. It also has QR codes that will take you to different videos. And if you haven't done this, I encourage you to go to buy our friends at uh, Bible Projects. And it's not just the intros to the books of the Bible. It'll provide different context of things that are going on, different characters or themes in Scripture that I think will help fill in gaps as you read through our reading plan. Before we jump in to the story today, let me kind of set the stage. And again, if you've been following along in the reading plan, you've already read this, but God's chosen people, the Israelites, were in captivity. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And after a series of confrontations with Pharaoh and a number of plagues that God sent to Egypt, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, finally agrees to let the Israelites go and be free. However, shortly after that, the leader, Pharaoh, quickly regrets his decision, and he and his army decide, you know what, we're going to chase them down. So Pharaoh and his army, they, they get him backed up against the Red Sea, and the Israelites think, it's all over. We're going to die. But God... But God parts the Red Sea, and this miracle, Israelite crosses over on dry land. But when Pharaoh and his army chase them through the, the Red Sea, he collapses the water, and the Egyptian army drowns, and they are miraculously saved. In verse 31 of chapter 14, it says, When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God, the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him, and in Moses, who was the leader, his servant. Then in chapter 15, we read that the Israelites continued on their journey to uh, capture the promised land that God has been talking about. But after three days, they began to complain to Moses about this, this thirst that they had. They were really thirsty, and there was no clean water around, and God provides them with clean water. And then he gives them these instructions in Exodus 15. It says, There the Lord issued a ruling and instructions for them to put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then God gives the Israelites a bit of a vacation. It's a stay as you continue to read an alien. Elim, as scripture tells us, is they have 12 springs of water and there's 70 palm trees. It's a welcome resting place after the difficult days in the wilderness. Then after 14 days, a two-week vacation, they head out from Elim to the desert of Sin, we're told, which is a location. They are now some 17 days removed from this miracle God provided when he parted the Red Sea, and yet they begin to grumble Again, listen to how scripture captures it. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the leaders. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. 
but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Israelites are complaining because, because they were hungry. They'd been away from Egypt less than a month and still remembered these meat pots where they could eat all they wanted until they were full. But for some reason, they seemed to have forgotten the bondage, the beatings, the misery of their, of their forced labor as slaves. They seemed to have forgotten how God has provided them with safety by walking through on dry ground through the, through the Red Sea. They seemed to have forgotten how God provided them with clean drinking water. They even accused Moses and Aaron of deliberately leading them into the, to the wilderness to kill them. They even wished that God himself had killed them in Egypt when they were full rather than their, when their stomachs were empty. And even though God delivered them out of the hands of death, they could not believe, they couldn't fathom how God could satisfy their hunger. Unbelief has a short memory. And discontent perverts our, pers- our perspective. Again, I can easily read this and I can judge them for the lack of faith and maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you've, you've said, God literally parted the sea right in front of your eyes. I mean, if I were there, right, and I saw that, I wouldn't forget that. I wouldn't grumble of, you know, of an empty stomach. That's not how I would be acting, right? But we do this. God does amazing things to show his love in our lives, and we often either miss them or we simply just forget them. And it's easy to believe that we wouldn't do it if we were then. That is, until I look at my own life in reverse and realize, man, I have done the exact same thing. I've doubted God. I've doubted his plan for me. But God, but God hears their cries and God hears our cries. And listen to what he does. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to, going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions, which he'll give. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God hears their murmuring. He hears their grumbling. And in his grace and mercy, he meets their needs yet again. He told them, that in the evening there would be flesh to eat. In the morning he would rain down bread from heaven. Now, if we want to picture what the Israelites are kind of all about, we find it in Scripture and their continual references of their murmurings and complaining. They were constantly complaining. Their faith from the outside looking in seemed to be shallow, right? Their, their faith seemed to be superficial. They were selfish, Their stomachs were prevailing over their minds and their hearts. Now, God will give them very uh, specific instructions for this special provision that he's going to provide because God wants them to trust him and follow his instructions. He wants to build this rapport and this relationship. Listen to what happens when Aaron is speaking to the Israelites. It says, Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israel community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, try to picture this, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the clouds. I mean, I wonder if they trembled in their sandals when they saw that, right? I wonder if they were wide-eyed, like, oh my gosh, an amazement of the glory of God as he flashed above them by cloud at during the day, and a burning fire at night, guiding them on their journey. 
I wonder what that was like. I mean, it's here that we see the heart of God that it's clearly revealed. It comes out in the sweet gentleness as he promises this, this flakes, this, this manna as it's called, because they have murmured about their hunger and have complained against Moses and God. And God provides so that, that, so that they may know, so that they may be reminded that he is the Lord, the one true God. God promises this miracle, and then it happens. It says, that evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Here comes the instructions. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did just as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. God continued to meet their needs, even when they were grumbling. Unlike at the Red Sea, when God did this miracle, God now tells them first, this is what I'm going to do. And now God is doing exactly what he said he would. He's fulfilling this promise. Uh, the question for them is, are they going to trust him? Are they now going to listen to these instructions? And I think this is the same question we could ask ourselves. I mean, in our journey through life, we too live on the promises of God, not on the explanations of God. When things aren't going our way, when, when things are in our circumstances are hard, when we find ourselves hurting, it's really normal to ask, why? Why, God? Why, am I, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? But when we ask the why question to God, we really assume a superior posture and give the impression that we're in charge and God is now accountable to us. But God is sovereign, and he doesn't have to explain anything to us unless he really wants to. And then, if we're asking why, we also assume that if God gave us the answer, he's like, here's the plan, here's the purpose, here's everything that's going to happen, we'd say, oh, that makes sense, right? We'd understand everything then if God would just tell us. I think we all know that's not the case. Because explanations don't heal broken hearts, but promises do. Promises depend on faith. They they depend on, on belief. And faith and belief puts us in contact with this this grace and this mercy that God offers. God is trying to get Israel to focus on him, not on their circumstances, not on their own appetites. They would glorify God and bring honor to his name. It it isn't important that that they figure out that they have a comfortable life. That's not really what's important. God doesn't want us to be comfortable. He cares more about our character than our comfort. God wants to be glorified. When circumstances are difficult, we're often prone to pray, Lord, how can I get out of this? When we really ought to be praying, God, what can I get out of this? In other words, what can I learn? What are you trying to teach me? It isn't important to get our own way, but it is important that God accomplishes his purposes and his plan, that he receives the glory. God will allow trials in our lives. That's that's a fact of life. He allows them so that he can build this godly character in all of his children and make us more like Jesus. Godliness isn't something that happens automatically. You can't 
just get it by reading books and attending meetings. Those things are important. Those things can help. But godliness also involves bearing burdens, fighting battles, feeling pain. And when I try to put myself in the story and think about that first morning, just think about that. That first miracle of manna, that had to be some sight to be seen. They didn't even know what it was. They had to ask, what is this? Manna would be their food for the next 40 years until the next generation would enter the promised land and then the manna would cease to exist. Each morning they participated in this miracle, day after day, morning after morning. Every morning they emerged from their tents to find this miracle, this nourishment they needed waiting on the ground in the dew. The manna was small like a seed, but it tasted like honey. And so began their daily discipline. Listen to what Scripture says. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be the day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left until the morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, you will not, you will, there will be none. There won't be any. I think when we read this, we can be easily reminded that Jesus provides, or Jesus provided as well. Jesus would then feed 5,000. He would feed thousands as God multiplied loaves and fish on a mountain. The day after Jesus feeds these thousands of people, they, they, he then gives them the sermon that he's the bread of life to a crowd in the synagogue. The crowd wanted him to prove that he was the Messiah by duplicating this miracle of manna. But instead, he declared himself the manna, the true bread of life, that he came from heaven. The Old Testament manna here in Exodus was was a type or a picture of God's son who, who would come to give himself as the bread of life to hungry sinners. Jesus is the bread of life. And the only way to be saved is to receive him into our inner being much like body receives food. God provided the manna only to the Israelites, but he sent Jesus for the whole world. The manna here in Exodus only sustained their physical life in the wilderness, but Jesus, the Son of God, would give eternal life to the whole world. The Jewish people ate the manna and would still die, but Jesus, whoever receives Jesus Christ, will live forever. But there's still yet another miracle as we think about manna here and we translate it into our own lives. Just as the Israelites had to feed and gather daily, we too must feed and gather daily on Jesus Christ. We do this by praying. We we do this by living our lives as an act of worship, filled with gratitude and faith. We do this by meditating on God's word, embracing the the stillness that he, he reveals, We do this by being obedient to his word and his spirit. We we believe and trust in his direction for our lives. We do this by offering our moments and hours to him as a living sacrifice. This is really why we do a reading plan. This is why we encourage you to follow along. 
This is why we give away Bibles. This is why we encourage you to get in a small group. And God is, is not the author of confusion. Whenever he starts something new, he always gives the instructions necessary to make it successful. They were told to, to gather the manna. To begin with, they were instructed to gather it daily, right? But only as much as each person needed so that the family could eat. An omer is equivalent to about two quarts. The manna was especially nutritious because eating it sustained an adult for a day's march in the wilderness. It appears that the members of the family would, would pull their, their supplies each day so that nobody in the family lacked sufficient food. It was also important that they got up early to gather the manna, right? Before the hot desert sun came and melted it away, it said. There was, there was no place for laziness. You couldn't just sleep in and gather it later. You couldn't just allow the whole family to do it for you. I think there's a lesson for us as well. This is why we say don't pass, try not to pass your faith on down to your children. Try to raise your children to have their own faith. I might argue even that the way they had to get up early to gather, we should start our day gathering. We should start our day on the spiritual food, the nutrition from his word in Scripture. Because the reality is, if you're anything like me, if we wait too long to, to gather, we wait too long to get into the word, the day can easily be cluttered and we can get distracted then we too will suffer from spiritual malnutrition. Although God was clear in his instructions, still some people didn't listen. Again, it's easy to go, how did they not listen to this? Listen to what happens. Nevertheless, even though God gave them all these great clear instructions, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Imagine that. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he, gave, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israelite called the bread manna. It was white like seed and tasted like wafers made of honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you and eat that you ate in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take the jar, put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to keep it for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets in the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Some tried to do it their own way, not on God's way. And I believe this is a personal warning for us as well. We can't simply feed on yesterday's spiritual nourishment. I mean, it's good to come here on Sundays. I think it's important. But we each need to eat our own fresh manna, God's word, each and every day if we want to be healthy Christ followers. There's no substitution for daily time alone with God, gathering fresh nourishment from his word. And speaking of nourishment and manna, not only was the giving of manna a miracle for six days, it was a miracle for the seventh day as well. Every other day, if you gathered and you waited it, right, it got maggots, it stunk, it smelled. But that sixth to seventh day, it did not. The instructions in verses 33 and 34 that we read were also an anticipation of the giving of the law. 
and the making of the Ark of Testimony and the construction of the tabernacle. God gave the law to, to Israel because he loved his people. They needed a light to guide them, and God's law is a lamp and a light. And obeying it, obeying the law, gives and means life. But when the people disobeyed in the Israelite time, they needed a priest then to come and to, to forgive them, to reconcile themselves to God. But when we disobey, when we sin, we have direct access to the living God who forgives, Jesus. They also needed to be reminded that it was God who provided food for them. They needed to be reminded that they didn't live by bread alone, but on the very word of God. And I think we need this reminder as well. Sometimes we need to learn lessons over again, the ones even that we've forgotten. This is why some people keep a journal. Some people review it daily. Again, this is why we created the journal for you. Some people keep a spiritual diary in the margin of their Bibles, and they write things down as verses speak to them or God speaks to them in their Bible as he reveals things. Still others have photographs. They can look at a photograph and it conveys this treasured spiritual memory, this spiritual truth. However we do it, I think we need to nail down the importance of the lessons of life. We need to allow these reminders to influence us to walk with God and obey him. We've talked about this idea in the past, but in Scripture, if you haven't read it already, you will read over and over where God does something at a place, and then they name it something. They, they, they put rocks down. They build altars, and they go back to these places, and it's a reminder of what God has done. They, they show gratitude for the work God has done. We can do this, too. We can think back through our story, like when you accepted Christ, if, if and if you haven't, this could be the first spiritual marker this morning. But you can go back to where you accepted Christ and then go through your life and go, what were these spiritual markers, things that stand out to me? I talked about that several weeks ago in my own life. We did this uh, exercise in the coaching network I am, I'm in. But we reflect, reflect on those moments that we, as we walk with God that reveals himself. These are constant lessons in life. They're reminders of what God has done in us. Then we can learn to pray with Moses when he said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts with wisdom, Psalm 90, verse 12. It's learning to ask God to make our days count while we pursue him and, and daily have that nourishment. It's, it's learning to hear from God and being obedient to what he's asking us to do, even if we're afraid to do it. That lesson is best learned as we remember who God is, what God did, and what still he wants to do in us and through us. Not just what he did on the cross. That is the primary remembrance of what he's done for us. But then how we change? How's God challenging us? I need this reminder. Even in the good seasons, even in the hard seasons, even the seasons that I feel like we're walking in now or I'm walking in now and going, I got to trust you here, Lord i got to trust you here, Lord. And it's reminding me of all the other times that I've trusted and how he's shown up. Because we see this over and over, two very powerful words in Scripture, but God. Unimaginable things. Imperceivable how God would come through. But God. Only God. Nothing they could have, nobody could have parted that Red Sea. They couldn't have swam across that. They couldn't have saved themselves. But God, 
And even in the but God moments, we go, where are you, Lord? Because we forget so easily. This is why we say, get into the reading plan. Jump in right where we are. If you've missed days, don't feel like you've got to go back and catch up. Start today, the 29th of January. Start tomorrow, the 30th of January. See what God starts to reveal. See what God starts to do. Watch how that nourishment of his word gives us spiritual nourishment. And it acts out in more faith and belief in who he is and what he's done. Grab your Connect cards that Jana talked about. If you haven't filled this out, take it out of your program or grab one out of the seat back in front of you. I really encourage you, minimally write your name. We're going to offer you some next steps. We're going to drop it in the offering when it goes by in just a few minutes. We believe God has a next step for you. We believe God wants to challenge you to do something today. Maybe the first next step this morning is to accept Christ for the first time. Maybe you've not made that spiritual decision. Maybe you're trying to live life in your, in your own terms. My question typically is, how's that working for you? Right? What if there's a God who, who loved you enough to send his son, that he would die on a cross, that, to save you, that he could break the bondage of sin, that he has a better life, a, something that you could never imagine or fathom for yourself. He's inviting you in as one of his kids to further his kingdom, that he wants to free you from the things that you wrestle with. That's the power of Jesus. He wants to invite you into a relationship with him. That's when you go to scripture and it reads differently. It starts to read you right where you are. God starts to reveal things that you've never seen before, heard things in a worship song. He like takes the lens off and everything becomes clearer. He begins to change you from the inside. And if you've made that decision this morning, mark that on your Connect card, drop it in the offering. There's free resources in the back. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But you're not meant to do this alone either. You're meant to do this in community. Even when we read Scripture by ourselves, it is a we book, not a me book. God certainly uses it for individual quiet time. But it's meant to be discussed in a community, lived out in community. That's why we gather. That's why we do small groups. And if you've made that decision today, you can get baptized next week. So write that on your Connect card. It's our 10-year anniversary. What a great day to be baptized. The second is this. Spend time remembering all that God has done in his word and in our lives or your life. Scripture is just a constant reminder of how God moves and shows up. In the dire circumstances, in the big ways and in the small. Spend time this week reflecting on your own life. God, where have you shown up? What are those spiritual markers in my life? And just start to bullet point. If you know the dates and times, all the better. That's not nearly as important as the, the reminder of where God has moved and maybe where God is moving in your lives. What a great thing to easily go back to and go, wow, I had forgotten all that you've done. Pray, God, reveal these things to me. Help me remember what I've forgotten, but that you know. The third next step is receive prayer. We believe prayer is a vital part of our relationship with Jesus. Prayer in a community is, is even stronger. It's even more powerful, more impactful. 
We have prayer teams here in person. There'll be one up here on my right and one in the back corner. If you have anything going on in your life you'd love prayer for, maybe you're wrestling with all of this, like I'm not sure about this Jesus guy, but I'll go back and see what happens. Maybe you have a blessing to share. Maybe you just want to be blessed. I encourage you to receive prayer. But if that's a little too much, you can write a prayer request on your Connect card. You can email us at prayer at lewashcc.com or you can leverage the prayer wall in the back. We have these tags. You can write your prayer request. Hang it on one of the nails. If you want everybody to pray for it, make sure everybody can read it. If you only want the staff and the prayer team, make sure it's covered and pointing towards the wall. So lots of ways to receive and engage in prayer. And we'd be honored to pray for anything that's going on in your lives. And the last is a memory verse. We do a memory verse for each series. This is the last week of this particular series. If you don't have one of these, they're also in the back by the Bibles. We just encourage you to get into the Word till the Word gets into you. And our memory verse for this series is, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, and I find myself praying this a lot the last several weeks, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Well, that's a great prayer. God, I don't want to do anything without your presence. So if you're not going, I don't want to go. I feel like God is asking you to do something. Maybe it's beyond your own capacity, calling you to do something. Maybe it's a little scary. God, if your presence doesn't go, I don't want to be. That's not where I want to go. God will answer that heart. He will answer that prayer. Maybe not in the way we want. You know my litmus test if it's God, right? If it's loving lines up with scripture and you don't want to do it that's probably God right? because he wants to stretch us he wants to grow us he wants to make us more like him we're going to go ahead and receive our offering if you want to drop your offering and your connect card in the buckets and you want to pull out your communion we take communion almost every single Sunday there are communion elements for when you walked in if you didn't grab one and want one you can certainly go back and do it but This wafer represents exactly what we talked about, that Jesus is the bread of life, that we cannot live on bread alone, on every word of God. When we read in in Scripture, it talks about how the word became flesh. So it's not just a reminder of all that God has done, what Jesus died on a cross and the juice representing his blood was shed for us. It's a reminder Jesus is the ultimate life provider, the life giver. And this morning we get to feed on him. We get to have Jesus in us as we go out and tackle whatever he asks us to do. While we daily feed on his word. While we're daily present in his spirit. Let me pray. God, thanks. Thanks for these stories and God, thanks for personally convicting me when I read this and go, how in the world could they not believe? How could they have forgotten all that you've done? Thanks for those little nudges that you remind me. Andy, I could say the same about you. Thanks for your mercy and your grace, Lord, that you don't hold that against me. You just open your arms and just say, it's okay, come on in here. I got you. I love you. To God this morning, would you remind us of that mercy and grace? Would you bring to mind some of those spiritual markers in our lives? Would you break chains of captivity 
this morning? Would you offer freedom? Would you offer hope? God, you, you gave your life so you could continue to give your love. You sent your spirit and you said be greater things. Like greater than the Red Sea? That's what you said, Lord. Help us to walk in faith, trust, and belief that you want to do greater things in and through each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, you're free to sit or stand and receive prayer.